welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Okay, well, I feel wonderfully teed up by that video. I think um, that theme of healing, restoration, and being the hands and feet of God connecting us with his healing power is really what I want to talk about this morning. But um, before we jump in, I just want to invite you to reflect on a moment to ask you a question. So you might just want to close your eyes, you might want to think back, and hopefully this will be a positive memory. But what has been your greatest experience of forgiveness? What did that moment do in your heart and in your life? Brilliant. Well, forgiveness, I think, brings restored relationships. It brings, brings a better future. And the world is full of hurting people whose lives have in one way or another been defined by their past mistakes. The good news of Jesus provides the forgiveness and reconciliation that people like us who know that they can't outrun their mistakes need. Today we're going to look at the story of one hurting person who tried to run from their mistakes and who found a fresh start and a fresh future in Jesus. So why don't you just have a look at the screens um, to find out. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament, but don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft, or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Excellent. Well, before we look at how Paul applies the example and teaching of Jesus to this tricky pastoral situation, let's talk about the elephant in the room for a moment. Slavery. (laughs) So... Whenever we read a letter like this, we would love it if Paul just put in big, bold letters at the start of the letter, slavery's wrong, don't do it. But unfortunately, he hasn't done that. And unfortunately, he hasn't done that. So it's a little bit more complex. 
In the Roman times, slavery was just how things got done. It was a little bit like plastic or petrol. It just was completely necessary to get anything done. In large cities of the Roman Empire, as much as a third of the city might consist of slaves. Slavery is where, in case you didn't know, is where humans are treated as the property of other humans. Now, if you have any knowledge of Jesus and his teachings, you might rightly assume that he would be against slavery. But however, when we read the, New Te- when we read the Bible and even the New Testament, it seems like there's kind of an unspoken approval of this brutal and oppressive institution. Now, I haven't got enough time this morning to unpack everything around this, but here are, the he- here are some headlines. In the ancient world of the New Testament, slavery was part of the social structure, and in the absence of a democratic system, it would have been impossible for Paul to have just eradicated it with the stroke of a pen. The best way of helping slaves was to secure just and kind treatment by their masters, which Paul does in Colossians 4.1 and Ephesians 6.9. He essentially says, Treat them the way you'd want to be treated because God is watching and he'll do to you what you do to them. So that seems like a pretty good um, incentive, I think. And in one place, Paul urges slaves to seek their freedom if they can get it in in 1 Corinthians 7. And in 1 Timothy 1.10, Paul lists slave traders among those he considers ungodly. And in a number of Paul's letters, he states that in Christ, there is neither slave nor free, there is no... (laughs) And there is neither slave nor free. We are one in Christ and we all share the one spirit. We are all equal, whether we are slave or whether we are free. And finally, in this letter of Philemon, we're going to see Paul on an individual basis radically transform the slave-master relationship as he puts into practice the good news of Jesus and the outworking of reconciliation. So in conclusion, the um, great New Testament professor F.F. Bruce says that the letter of Philemon brings us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only ever wilt and die. So in conclusion, the Bible was never for slavery and human slavery is evil and completely against the kingdom of God. At the heart of the message of Jesus and the kingdom is the fact that we are all created equally in the image of God, that Jesus came and died to set us free from every kind of bondage, and that we are all one and equal in Christ Jesus. But before we leave this topic and dive into the letter, I just want to take a moment to encourage you to take action. One of our values as a church is to make a difference. Whilst we have all heard of William Wilberforce bringing about the abolition of slavery in the 19th century, slavery is unfortunately still alive and kicking in the 21st. Adam Pipe, who's speaking at the central site um, this morning, is an immigration lawyer, and he said that he regularly represents people who've been forcibly brought to this country to work as prostitutes or drug growers. In fact, 40 million people are estimated to be trapped in modern slavery worldwide. One in four of them are children, and almost three quarters are women or girls. Even in this country, there are estimated to be 10,000 people living in modern slavery. So um, I would encourage you to check out this website, which is antislavery.org, and go, take, go to the Take Action tab of the website today when you get home. 
Have a look at what you can do as an individual, as a family, or as a small group to fight against slavery in our world today. So, let's turn to our passage. Okay, so after Paul introduces himself in the letter and then prays for the situation, he goes on to make a plea to Philemon. He says this starting in verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me, so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, you do owe me yourself. (laughs) I like... Paul treads a fine line between, between not telling him what to do and telling him very clearly what to do. Um, it's quite a funny... I don't, you don't, I don't know what tone to read it in. It's, it, like, it almost comes across sarcastic, but um, I, th- I, th- I imagine Paul is more compassionate than me, so it's probably got a nicer tone. But this letter reminds us that the good news of Jesus has the power to heal hurting hearts and restore hurting people. And that you and I can be the link to that power that by, by practicing this reconciliation. Reconciliation is at the heart of Paul's understanding of what Jesus has done for each one of us. In Colossians, he writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So I want to suggest that there are three practices at the heart of the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. The first is the practice of hospitality. The second is the practice of forgiveness. And the third is the practice of hope. So the practice of hospitality. We see in the passage we read that Paul says to Philemon that he can, maybe they were separated for this time so that they might be restored, not as slave and master, 
but as dearly loved brothers. The saying goes, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Uh, Well, that could be just as accurately said about the church, to be honest. Um, The incredible truth is that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are welcomed into the family of God. So much so that Peter, in his letter, says that we are welcomed into the very nature of God. We're welcomed into the very God family. But, that, but what we see in these verses is that this isn't just a spiritual reality, but a physical reality that Paul expects to be lived out in our relationships and our lives. We here are all brothers and sisters, and we are to love welcome and forgive one another as such. And when we talk of hurting and broken people who can't run from their past mistakes, the reality is we are talking about each one of us here. We all need the welcome of God and we all need community. On a practical note, if you're not in a small group already, I would really encourage you to find one. They're not perfect. But at their best, they are places where we can be known, encouraged, prayed for, and served. Michael Gatlin, a vineyard pastor from Duluth, um, says that hospitality is not primarily about a home, a meal, or a place. It is about making people feel welcome and accepted in your presence. We see in Paul's prayer that Philemon is one of these people. Paul says that, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, that's Philemon's, because the hearts of the saints are refreshed through you, brother. Philemon makes people feel comfortable in his presence, and in such welcome, they are refreshed. The word here, refreshed, means um, to give rest, but it also is tended to be used in the New Testament about the inner person, to refresh their spirit, to refresh their soul. A hospitable person comes alongside and welcomes the hurting individual, offers support and encouragement. They help the struggle by assisting and comforting. They lighten their load, giving them a break from the internal struggles and the weight of what we carry. They bring refreshment, like an ice-cold glass of water on a scorching day, which, wonderfully, we've been experiencing recently. They remind the wounded of God's loving welcome. In the movie The Color Purple, the character Sophie spends several years unjustly incarcerated for a minor offense. When she's released from prison, she is broken, she's a broken woman who can barely function. Sophie's mistress casually hands her a shopping list to fill. The lead character, Celie, a woman who's endured great pain herself, sees Sophie staring at the grocery shelves and understands her vulnerability. She protects Sophie by quietly filling the grocery list for her. Months later, when Sophie begins to come out of her struggles and her difficulties, they meet and she says, I'm not gonna do an accent, I'm not gonna do a Southern accent, I apologize. I want to thank you, Miss Seeley, for everything you've done for me. I remember that day in the store, and I was feeling really down. I was feeling mighty bad. And when I see you, I know there was a God, 
I know there is a God. And one day I was going to get home. And this is the type of refreshing person I want to be to hurting people in our world. And so you and I, we can be people who refresh people's souls and spirits as we welcome them. But also, there are times inevitably in our life where we will need to practice forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes be great at recalling injustices, um, dredging up insignificant slights and reopening old wounds. Um, I can sometimes feel I'm a little bit more unforgiving and unforgetting than forgiving and forgetful. I think this practice of forgiving is a timely countercultural practice. We live in the age of cancel culture, where someone can reach into your past, whether it be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, to one mistake, and drag that mistake into your present and use it to try and destroy your future. And that is the very opposite of what Jesus does for us. Jesus comes and he meets us in the present. He reaches into our past with mercy, with forgiveness, and with healing. And he sets us up with a new, hope-filled, better future. Practicing forgiveness models the very good news that Jesus came for. We're called to be different than the world, to be a kinder, gentler people, a people who've experienced the grace and mercy of God ourselves and know how to pass it on to others. Often wounded, hurting people need a second chance. We all need a second chance. And Jesus' message is that in him, we can find one. And so Paul requests of Philemon to grant Onesimus a second chance. He says, I am sending him, a part of myself, back to you. Accept him as you would me. Onesimus had done a wrong. He had made a mistake. He had committed a crime. But he deserves a second chance. So what does a forgiver do? A forgiver releases the guilty. In other words, he lets it go. She doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He doesn't harbor grudges. She forgets the mistake. He allows the other person to get on with their life without looking over their shoulder, waiting for that mistake to catch up with them. Forgiveness means literally to cancel a debt. It's to take away what is owed so that Repentance can be done and reconciliation of broken relationships can occur. And this is literally what Paul offers. In verse 18, he says, he has, whatever he's done, that's Onesimus. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul is living out that very gospel. He is taking on Onesimus' debt so that the barrier that separates Philemon and Onesimus can be taken away and they can be reconciled. On the cross, Jesus paid the debt we owed God so that what separated us from him could be taken away and that we could be reconciled with the love of our Heavenly Father. Jesus did for us what he invites us to do for others. 
So being a family sustains the hurting one in the present. Being a forgiver wipes away the past. But what about the future? To love the hurting, we also need to practice hope. Hope is about enabling people to see their future in a new way, to believe for better than the present because of the goodness of God. Philemon had Onesimus' future in his hands. By law, he could have him executed. Or as a believer, he could restore him as a brother and a servant. But what would Philemon do? It's interesting to note that the name Onesimus means useful. And Paul plays on this name by saying, once he was useless to you, but now he's useful to you and to me. Paul knew that Onesimus had a greater future, that he had a future where he could be useful. But that future was now in Philemon's hands. Those who make a practice of hope become what one author calls future givers. A future giver partners with God in the restoration of people's lives. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. The word here, restore, was used to describe the mending of a fisherman's nets in order to use, be used for the next day. It communicates the idea of putting people back into workable and useful shape. So someone who practices hope reminds people how valuable they are to God and to society, that because of Jesus, their past doesn't determine their future fruitfulness. Jesus restored the woman at the well. Jesus restored the woman caught in adultery and so many more people. And Jesus restores us who believe in him. Restoring the spirits of individuals can be a marvelous thing for their future. Some of us might be asking, what happened to Onesimus? It would be really nice if there was like a little postscript at the bottom of the letter that said, just, by the way, just to let you all know uh, what Philemon did, but there isn't. However, a church father named Ignatius wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, sorry, which is the same place. Wrote a church to the Ephesian church 50 years later and he addresses their wonderful bishop, whose name is Onesimus. Onesimus's life was transformed, and he flourished and became the bishop of Ephesus. In 50 years later, he was doing a wonderful job. Isn't it amazing what recon reconciliation can do? So in conclusion... Who do you know who needs a friend, a second chance, a new future? For many hurting people, you may be the person who can turn their life around by offering them family, forgiveness, and a hope-filled future. The letter of Philemon reminds us that Christianity has the power, or Christ really, has the power to heal hurting hearts and to repair broken people, putting them back on their feet. It instructs us that when given the chance, we are to participate in this revolutionary act of practicing reconciliation. We can be the living illustration of what Jesus has been to us. We can be the bridge between people and God's love. 
by doing for others that, what Paul has asked Philemon to do for Onesimus, by practicing the ministry of reconciliation. So, brothers and sisters, let's be family and welcome the wounded. Let's be forgivers and release others of their debt. And let's be future givers by restoring others' hope. Amen. Let's pray. Can I just invite you to stand, actually, while we pray? Or are we going to? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.